2: Here comes Gurley, from right to left. They're gonna throw, right side, goal line, caught! Touchdown, LA! Robert Woods! Back, and the punt is blocked! Covered in the end zone!
1: Touchdown, LA! Third and seven from the 10. Pressure on Cousins. Pocket collapsing, and Cousins, the ball comes out! And it looks like Buffalo's recovered. They got it, Buffalo football at the 15.
2: They've got great receivers. Cooks is a dynamic receiver. Cup is is really good. Woods is you know, he looks fast and even better than a year ago. Obviously, Gurley is a hard-running back with great speed to get to the perimeter. Their offensive line does a nice job. And I thought Goff took a jump from his first year to his second year, but I think he's taking another big jump here in his third year. There are no huddle offense, uh, the things they do, getting in the right plays, out of the right place. So it'll be a great test for Seven-point
1: underdogs, gentlemen. Seven-point underdogs mm. in three and a half hours from now. That's what, three points if not for Sunday's complete debacle? Yeah, that's a good question. What what, what would the spread have been? Had they beaten Buffalo? And and so you have two components here. Rams have looked incredible. Yep. And Vikings looked as bad as they've looked in our lifetimes on Sunday against the Bills. So would this have would this have been the standard three point home favorite? Four, three and a half, four, and now it got pushed to seven. Probably. That's my guess. Yeah, but it does kind of feel like I don't know. I've gone back and forth on this game, and it is hard to predict what the Vikings are going to come out doing. But it feels like. Everyone is on the Rams side here. And like the Rams are definitely favorite and they have most of the advantages. But um, I don't know. This is, we talk about this all the time on the show. When everyone is moving in one direction, yep. are we writing the Vikings off knowing that a week ago we wouldn't have? I mean, for how confident we were going into that Bills game, does all of that confidence deserve to be wiped away just because of what happened on Sunday? I don't think all of it should be wiped I've got, away.
3: I've got more questions now. I've got trepidation about this game because I don't know what the Vikings' mentality going into it is going to be. I don't know if they're going to try and rally and kick the Rams' butts and play a great game, or if the Griffin thing has completely thrown off this team. Yeah, I don't have—I felt that that this would be— when when I sat down for the start of the Bills game, I felt that get that game done with, Vikings win by 21— Go play the Rams, and and it's going to be a battle between the two two of the best teams in the conference, and it's going to be fun to see in in week four which team at that point is superior. My feeling now is I got no clue. I know the Rams are good, yeah, but like I don't know what which which Vikings team is going to show up, and then now you've got the offensive line problems. Does Dalvin Cook play? If Dalvin Cook does play, is that hamstring ninety percent? 10%, you know, so there's there's variables now that I did not expect to be in play here.
0: And I wonder, too, if the Rams might be slightly due for kind of a letdown game, too. You know, like, this, I mean, we, Judd, we talked about it last hour. This league is, this league is crazy. I mean, things happen where you, you, just when it looks like a team should be dominant and should have all the advantages, they show up and they don't. They stink up the joint, you know, and I mean, we saw it with the Vikings on Sunday where everybody thought, us included, that the Vikings were going to roll over Buffalo. Buffalo's a mess, and it was the complete opposite. So I wonder if the Rams might be, might be due for a letdown. It doesn't mean that they're going to go belly up for the rest of the season, but, you know, they're 3-0. They played well. Yeah, Every team is due for one bad game.
1: I think what's, yeah, because last year the Rams were due for that bad game and it came at the hands of the Vikings, right? The Rams yeah. marched down the field on their first drive and then the Vikings put them to sleep the rest of the game. And I think with some of the shine coming off the Vikings' defense, and you're not going to get that shine back until Everson Griffin comes back, if he comes back right. this season. And, you know, I, I was on uh, the night show on ESPN LA last night, just previewing Rams and Vikings. and And one of the things that we were talking about is, Terrence Newman being gone is something we all underestimated before the season started. I think we all said, oh man, like that's a really good leader and he was a reliable player, but hey, he's forty, and yeah, how much how much can they really miss a guy who's forty years old? And I think it's not as much about his like the physical nature of him on the field. It's more like the miscommunication that we've seen. I think the combination of Everson Griffin not playing in that Buffalo game and then not playing going forward. And you not having that assistant coach on the field, really. I mean, when you see these tight ends streaking wide open and running backs out of the backfield, I think a lot of that has to do with just breakdowns in communication. Not having a really smart player in Terrence Newman out there.
0: The Mike, the Mike Hughes play, where he remember the play where he put his hand up and then he like covered the guy out of the backfield, and the tight end went streaking right up the middle of the field like that. It doesn't from, happen if Terrence Newman is on the field. Yeah, it you, just doesn't.
1: You go from basically having an assistant coach, a forty-year-old assistant coach, who can still play at a high level up until last year. You take him out and you put a rookie and or Mackenzie Alexander, who might as well be a rookie, right? Yeah. You know, he's just that's Nickel Horn, playing like one.
3: Yeah, that job's an incredibly tough job, and we have seen that in this town at its best and worst. Antoine Winfield extended his career solely based on on the fact that he could play that spot. And that was at a time where the snaps for that spot started to increase by a lot because you're essentially a starter. Mm-hmm. And I got one name for you. So they they let they re-signed Lodeholt to a contract, let Winfield go, Josh Robinson. Mm. They put that poor kid in the nickel yeah. corner and they said, go play it. And guess what? He was lost. Josh Robinson was never going to be that good a player. But I think if you put him at an outside corner, he wouldn't have embarrassed himself. But trying to play inside there is a really tough ask. yeah. And to ask Mike Hughes to step in and do that, I think Mike Hughes eventually might be a fine player. But for him as a rookie to try and step in and play that spot is an enormous thing to ask him to do.
1: I think in general, I'm having a really hard time balancing what we saw on Sunday and the fact that September football, the last five years especially, with the reduced practices in the offseason, like you can't take what you see in September seriously in the NFL. The Patriots have shown that year after year. And then there's there's all kinds of teams that get off to hot starts every year, like the Chiefs get off to hot starts, and then they do yeah. nothing in the playoffs. The first two months are very tough. Yeah, you can't. You almost have to just stay afloat and live with some clunkers until you get to November. I mean, the Green Bay Packers almost always look like garbage until November, and then if Aaron Rodgers is healthy, they roll off six straight wins, and boom, they're 11-5. and five.
3: The thing I don't like about this team right now is it feels like things are starting to snowball in, in the wrong direction. And that's the—if you've watched this team for a long time, as three of us have, that's the thing that troubles you. Because it feels like like when the Vikings snowball starts to go down the hill in a bad way— 2016. It doesn't really stop. 2010. Like, I'm trying to think of times when— When's the last time that you can recall that that snowball has started to go down down the hill and it's it's trending in a negative direction and it just suddenly stops and they pull a Patriots or a Packers
1: in a season like in a game it happened against the Saints but sure but I'm a, saying a season. a season I'm saying a season yeah it's not and so it, do you guys think some of that is a self fulfilling prophecy here that we oh there well could be that like players can sense that there's nervous tension among fans and media and Manny's right though even like ownership sixteen. You're five and zero. Oh. Yeah, yeah. You're five and zero, oh and you just
3: absolutely you you don't struggle. You fall apart. Yep, offensive line was a
0: mess. Yeah, couldn't protect the quarterback. Injuries, guys banged
3: 2010, up. Two thousand and ten, obviously, is the poster child. But it is weird because I'm I'm hard pressed to, to think of a year where things start to go wrong and then they just stop going wrong, and the Vikings yeah. transition into a hot streak.
1: Yeah. Is uh is Dalvin Cook officially is he questionable still or is he in tonight? I mean, the inactives haven't come out yet, and then they won't until 6 o'clock. But if he if he plays, let's not underestimate how much better he is than Latavius Murray. And Latavius yeah. Murray is a capable Especially running back. Especially in the passing game. But, yeah, but if there was any, any thought that, oh, those guys are sort of interchangeable, no. Oh, no, they're not. They're not. <laughs> no. They're not at all. I mean, just because Latavius <laughs> Murray's been a serviceable... I mean, it's more a credit to how Dalvin Cook's probably one of the five or six best running backs in the NFL when he's on the field... But I think him being out if if you've got Dalvin Cook, Adam Thielen, and Stephon Diggs on the field, you can get away with some quick hitting stuff, some three step drops. Just screens. get the ball
0: out and let yes, let those guys Especially now that you got elf line back, yes screen the screen game could be big.
1: Yeah. So I I, I expect D Filippo to come up with something creative. I expect them to not just drop back and get destroyed by a Rams defensive front and find ways to to gain yards. I'd I, I would be shocked if they follow you know up. Last week's performance with another clunker.
3: Let's start with one small thing. Quarterback hangs on to the ball tonight. That would help. Let's just start there. Let's start there. Because yeah. there's gonna be pressure at times. Let's start with if you're about to be sacked, you're aware to actually tuck the football and protect it. Yeah, that would be that would be helpful. Or just not hold it too long. Those and <laughs> those fumble statistics are frightening. Yeah. Like that's just not a bad little trend there. That's a you gotta reverse this. Because if you if you have a quarterback with
0: fumbling problems and an offensive line that's going to struggle to protect him, you,
1: it, it's going to be a disaster. Should he wear gloves? Maybe. <laughs> you know what? If it works, yes. Are, right? who are the Who are the quarterbacks in NFL history? And I don't want to hear Dante because he went from twenty three to sixteen <laughs> fumbles. Who are the who are the who are the quarterbacks in NFL history who had fumble problems and then fixed those problems? Trying or is to it think just of guys who had thing?
0: fumble problems. Dante had fumble problems. Kerry Collins had fumble problems. Did he? I think I think so. I think I remember hearing about him having fumble did problems. Did they make him right.
1: run, walk around the practice facility high and tight? That doesn't, <laughs> like work, for, that doesn't work for quarterbacks. <laughs> no, you, no. Ne- you never carry the ball high and tight like that. Right. No, you don't. Actually, what you should do is <laughs> you know, they make the running backs walk around high and tight so that you know, you'd be in the hallway, someone tried to punch the ball out. I Court, think Neil Co- O'Donnell
0: used to have fumble problems, but that's because when he would drop back, he would kind of hold the ball kind of out like <laughs> Look this. Look at all you the time. with Neil O'Donnell references. Oh, yeah. I remember Neil O'Donnell. He <laughs> the, threw the same two interceptions to Larry Brown in the Super Bowl. They yep. looked identical.
1: It'd be great if Manny was just making up these things like, oh, yeah, Trent <laughs> Dilfer had fumble problems in '97, Johnny Unitas. Em. In '73, I wasn't
3: born yet, but But man, I recall (laughs) his problems.
1: Like, could you could you have could you have Kirk Cousins walk around the practice facility with his with his back to everybody and and holding (laughs) the ball out, and like you just you you shove him in the back and make him just being accosted constantly at TCO. (laughs) Uh, I think we should dive into another Jimmy Butler update when we come back here, as the woge turns. I've been refreshing his Twitter page since I woke up this morning at like six. Just constant refreshing. <laughs> so we'll get a little uh, little update. And by the way, Mackie and Judd, we're going old school. Four, well, four hours for you guys, three hours for me. We are on until seven o'clock tonight, leading up close to Vikings four kickoff.
0: hours of radio. They're still on on the the air. air. I went for a walk (laughs) and did three loads of laundry (laughs) and came back, and they were still on the air. (laughs) Mackie and Judd are back. Please continue. On 1500 ESPN. Quick check on your traffic brought to you by Better Business Bureau, and we've got uh, some significant crashes all over the area. 94 westbound. Uh, We've got uh, about a 24-minute delay. That's due to a crash near Riverside and Cedar Avenue in Minneapolis. So be on the lookout for that if you're headed westbound on 94. 62 westbound, we have a crash in Edina near Highway 100, adding about uh, four minutes to your commute there. And also we have that that big crash uh, near the Wisconsin border, near the uh, right across the river, 94 eastbound, 38-minute delay, uh, reduced to one lane, That's going to be uh, there for the next uh, two hours until they can get that all cleared up. Join Better Business Bureau at the Torch Awards for Ethics. BBB's Torch Award embodies Better Business Bureau's mission of advancing trust in the marketplace. Fourteen businesses will be honored at U.S. Bank Stadium October 24th. Purchase tickets at BBB.org slash Minnesota.
3: TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie, Judd, Manny. I have a update uh, from Los Angeles. Courtney Cronin, our friend from ESPN.com, just tweeted this. I'm told the Vikings remain hopeful that Dalvin Cook will be able to go tonight. He's expected to go through his normal pregame routine to make sure everything feels good with that hamstring. And there's optimism he'll be out there despite being listed as questionable on Wednesday. Okay. That's the
1: latest. So he's probably going to play then. There's That's what it looks like, yeah. So I actually at times during that game against Buffalo, when they put Latavius Murray out, and he just he's so rigid. I don't know. He just he 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 feels a little bit like Herschel Walker light in some ways, where you give him the ball and he runs straight ahead and and he can block and play on third down. But Boone feel Boone felt like a much better fit for what the Vikings had to do in that game, but couldn't do it successfully. I mean, I almost would have gone with with Boone for more snaps in that game against Buffalo if Cook's out. Just somebody who just looks a little bit more shifty and versatile. I don't even know what the snap split was, but it felt like Latavius was out there probably too much. Well, and what, he, he had
3: two carries and Boone had two carries? Well, in terms of like, it just was so, being on yeah. the field, though. Yeah. Oh, on,
1: on snaps. Because yeah. Latavius out of the backfield catching passes, it just looks it just looks rigidy. Yeah,
0: he doesn't really make a whole lot of people miss. He's he's, he's he's kind of a between the tackles guy. I think if you can open up holes for him, you also, can get there.
3: But he's also the type of guy who it feels like he, you've got to use him a lot to have success. Like his first three carries always feel like what are you doing out there? Mm-hmm. And then he and then if he gets more carries, he's fine. But yeah, if Cook plays, if Cook plays and, and is effective tonight, to me it changes the entire dynamic of what this offense can potentially do.
0: Is Jimmy leaving? Can Tibbs let him go? These are the days of our wolves.
1: Oh man. Saw these little woge nuggets, these little woge sparklers this morning. We had a we had a couple Zach Lowe bombs. Low bombs? They're combining on reports now.
3: They are. Zach and uh and and your guy, Woj, are now combining on. The story's become no. so big, one man can't handle it.
1: Well, this was this was this, this morning, ESPN reporting with Zach Lowe. This is from Woj. Minnesota's asking price for Jimmy Butler remains too steep for teams. Mini seeks quality vets and top prospects and future assets and cap relief. You're not going to get all of that. Too high a price for interested teams, including the Miami Heat. Sources are skeptical of Tom Thibodeau's desire to make a deal, to which Zach Lowe added, this is the situation as of this morning. It could, of course, change on a dime. Not sure it's possible to exaggerate how volatile things are in Minnesota right now.
0: (laughs) Is Jimmy leaving? Can Tibbs let him go? These are the days of our wolves.
3: Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, so. The last part of that tweet is so fantastic. <laughs> so like,
1: and it's funny because these guys know more than they can report to. Mm-hmm. So it's their way of saying we aren't telling you everything, but we do feel comfortable telling you this is a disaster. Get out of the building. Yeah. Yep. We're not telling you why, <laughs> building's but get, on fire. get out of the building. Yep. So in terms of h- how much leverage the Timberwolves have right now in their dealings, all right, let's start to do the the like Wolves leverage versus other teams having leverage. Uh, Jimmy Butler is now floating. I saw this on Pro Basketball Talk earlier today. Jimmy Butler's camp is now floating. Butler is, quote, extremely frustrated with the Wolves for their high asking price. We know that Glenn Taylor is saying he wants a deal done ASAP, even telling other owners around the league, if you can't get a deal done through these guys, you just come through me. That was out earlier this week. Uh we know that Cat and Jimmy Butler can't coexist. So these are, these are all things that are not helping the Wolves in terms of leverage with these discussions, but I think they do still have leverage as long as multiple teams have interest in what is still when he's on the court a top 15 player. Right. I mean it's if And if if the Rockets, who are desperate to add another piece, I would think at some point, whether it's now or the trade deadline, but if the Rockets are in and the Heat are in and the Clippers have interest, even if talks aren't super on fire, if there's four teams that are interested, you at least have some leverage. But it doesn't help when your owner and, and your front office are at odds and Jimmy Butler is still publicly saying that I'm frustrated with the Wolves' high asking price. There's a lot of pressure on the Wolves to make a bad deal right now. So we'll see.
0: Yeah, you know, I I just <laughs> if you're if you're another team look in, around the league. If you're Miami, if you're Pat Riley, for example, and you're interested in trading for Jimmy Butler, do you even know who to talk to? Do you even know who to be in contact? Are you are you tr- are you in, talking with Tom Thibodeau? Or are you talking with Scott Layden? Are you going above them and trying to? communicate with Glenn Taylor about this. Yeah,
1: if you're told no by Tom Thibodeau, right. you probably go to Glenn Taylor and say, "Hey, Glenny. Come on, Glenny. Let's make Glenny. <laughs> let's make a deal." <laughs> All right, Glenjamin.
3: I told I told in the opening bell Manny my plan. And by the way, I agree. So so me being rational agrees he should be traded. You just need to work out a deal. And you're not going to break the bank and get a great deal, but I think he needs to be gone. But if Glenn won't fire Tom, which he's not doing right now, and Tom's going to drag his feet, which, by the way, I believe Krasinski and Woj way more than people saying this is a negotiating ploy. No, it's not. Glenn's dragging his feet. Mm -hmm. Or I'm sorry, Tom is, not Glenn. Yeah. So here's my plan. If you are the Wolves, what you need to do is you need to say, all right, we got problems here. What's the first thing, if we're going to continue to hold on to Butler, that we have to do? And I think what you do is you suspend him, you send him home, and you start finding him. And then you ignore him. You try to work out trades, but I'm done with begging him. I'm done with seeing him go to Lifetime Fitness in Brooklyn Park one day, St. Louis Park the next, and Plymouth the next. He's going to sit at home until I either work out a trade or he just sits there. I squat on him completely because what does Jimmy Butler love? What is the Butler camp doing? Bernie Lee, his agent, and Jimmy Butler love one thing, attention. And right now they're getting it at every turn. Tibbs is playing into their hands perfectly. Tibbs is the parent, and and they're the teenage kids. And they're getting the attention that they crave. So what do you do? You take that attention, at least from you, away. And for the next week, when Bernie Lee calls me, I don't pick up the phone. Yeah, you know, I'm done. I'm done dealing with your games. If 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 you're not going to trade him,
1: well, I don't, I don't, I don't think you want to get into this petty game of whether you're giving attention or not. But in terms of leverage, it would help you get some leverage back if your signal to Jimmy Butler and the rest of the league was, we'll shop you, but until we figure out where you're going, which by the way we're we we are not going to just settle for any old deal, which Tom Thibodeau has been on the record saying, regardless of his motives. In the meantime, you're gonna show up and you're gonna go through workouts and you're gonna practice. Now that could create an incredibly toxic environment. That's what I'm worried about. Remember when Brandon Marshall demanded to trade? Yes. From the was it the Broncos? And he literally started punting footballs at practice and just (laughs) that was like seven or eight years ago. I think for the time being, Jimmy would just go home. So you're saying you would are you are you able to find a player? I don't know when you can start, but I'm sure at some point you can. If he's being insubordinate yeah, and won't show up. I'm sure you can. Yeah. I just, I, I don't know. I, I think if they're, if you've got the Heat and you've got the Nets and you've got the Clippers, I get that those teams could all tell themselves, "Hey, we'll just wait until next year." And the Clippers can do that, and the Nets can do that. The Heat can't. The Heat, the Heat aren't in a position where they can add Jimmy Butler next summer. So if the Heat want Jimmy Butler, they need to trade for him right now and get him into their organization and get him into their salary cap. And um, if there's even if like the Rockets are the same way, the Rockets aren't just going to be able to sign Jimmy Butler right. next year. But if, right. so if the Rockets and the heat want Jimmy Butler and they have the, to they, trade for him. and the heat might be thinking now that LeBron's out of this conference, who, who's the King of the conference? The Raptors, the team that chokes every year in the playoffs, Celtics, Celtics, I guess. Yeah, you're right. Celtics are going to Celtics have a clear path at the fight, but the heat might be thinking, well, we could jump up into the, if we get Jimmy Butler, we might be the three seed in the Eastern conference. Let's go make a move here. Keep him long term. So if if it's if rockets if the reports are right that rockets and heat are both interested the wolves do have some leverage. Not a, not a ton, but, but like <laughs> they have some leverage. Yeah, but the
3: problem is what? The heat and rockets are rational and smart. Your organization's not rational right now. Like you're doing no. you're doing nothing that makes any sense.
0: You're not pulling a fast one over Pat Riley or, or Daryl Morey. So, That's true. Those so, two guys are t- way too smart. My You're going to wind point... up with
1: Goran Dragic and a second-round pick. <laughs> <laughs> a protected second-round pick. Exactly. <laughs> Top 55 <laughs> protected.
3: <laughs> so the point with Butler right now, have some pride, regain some dignity, and take some control. You have no control right now.
1: You just fire everyone too. I, I but I, I think the Judd Zulgad mentality of firing everyone wouldn't be a bad thing right now. If you said <laughs> Ryan Saunders, you're the only one still employed. You make the damn trade and coach the team. Well, I think they should tra- trade
3: him, but they're clearly. But if uh, Tom is going to remain in charge of that franchise for right now, that's not happening.
1: Yeah. Oh man, we could sit here on this for hours and hours, and I wouldn't get sick. Jimmy's leaving? Day. I love this. Can Tibbs let him go?
0: These are the days of our Wolves.
1: <laughs> oh, man. All right, Roy Smalley on the Minnesota Twins when we come back. Paul, We'll get to this, too, in the next half hour. Paul Molitor has a couple years left on that contract, but Jim Paul, that wasn't exactly forthright in uh, I guess you could say Jim Pola wasn't exactly giving his full stamp of yes Paul Mahler will be back so we can discuss that plus the football hour we'll check in with Tom Pellicero, Matthew Collard from Los Angeles and we're on until 7 leading up to Vikings and Rams Mackie and Judd will return shortly just a reminder this station does not endorse this on
0: 1500 ESPN Mackie and Judd now continue well here
1: we are again yes
2: yeah. on
0: 1500 ESPN
1: Mackie and Judd are talking twins now. Now, with former Twins great turned FSN analyst Roy Smalley. All right, Roy, I was uh, I, I took in most of the game last night at Judd's favorite establishment, Batten Barrel, watching Johnny Field, the Stop. Johnny Field experience at Target Field last night. <laughs> that's all. That's all we have right now at the end of this sad <laughs> season. The legend of Johnny Field, Roy.
2: <laughs> well i tell you johnny field has acquitted himself pretty well uh here since uh he's been up uh he's um he's a a pretty aggressive uh strong little hitter and uh so he's gonna most likely uh go to spring training and be uh in the mix next spring
3: joe mauer roy if if you, you were a betting man right now Do you think he's back? I I, I sense right now from what he has said and and from how his teammates have treated his his accomplishments in recent weeks that he's leaning towards not coming back. But I'm not positive that that he won't spend some time away from the game, get fresh again, and perhaps uh, after talking to his family, change his mind.
2: Yeah, it's the talking to his family I uh part that uh, would uh, would worry me about him not coming back. It's it, it it's a tough decision. I I am really I don't have any information at all. I wish I did. I wish I had even an inkling of what uh, Joe's thinking about doing, but I will say this, what he will think about after the season's over is how much he'll miss it, uh, when, uh, if he makes the decision not to, not to come back. And the, the problem with that decision is, uh, the finality of it. And, uh, in the face of knowing it's got to happen sometime, uh, then it's, uh, when's the best time. And am I ready mentally to, uh, to just walk away and not be a part of that, uh, anymore. He doesn't really need to accomplish anything. Uh, If if he had had an awful season, he may decide that he didn't want to go out that way. That has not been the case. So really it's going to come down to uh, Joe, uh, colon, boy, I'm going to really miss it. And his wife saying, yeah, but uh, me and the kids. And Joe's (laughs) going to say, yeah, I miss you guys too uh, when I'm on the road. And I've, I've spent too much time away. And it's got to happen sometime. And maybe it's now. So I mean, it's it's a lot of things are going to be swirling around in that whole decision process.
3: Hey, Roger, take us through that that process for for you. I mean, what, what's that like to be to be a player to, to know it's almost done, but to take that final step to close the door on your career?
2: It's kind of what I was getting at, uh, Judd. It's hard. It's incredibly hard because uh, you know, for most of us, and this was, uh, I'll just speak for me, but I uh, I think it's not dissimilar in any way to anybody else. Um, you know i'm a big believer in in mission uh for people or organizations businesses uh whatever you think about a business and they have a mission statement and they're you know they successful anything has a you know has it firmly written down but this is and and internalized about this is this is my calling and this is what i'm this is why i i'm here this is what i do and i felt that way since i was 5 years old that's what i wanted to do and and um, 30 years later, after we had won the World Series, um, it, it was uh, it was it was incredibly hard for me because I kind of felt like it was a time to uh, it was a time to leave. My kids were uh, were getting up in elementary school. I wanted to spend more time. You know, obviously, my wife and I were tired of being apart on road trips and and how much time, not, even at home, uh, you, you spend away. Uh, every day, and and it, it, it's and yet, as I said about Joe, you look at 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 saying, okay, it's over, and and then you say, well, then I've got more than half my life left, God willing. What's my mission? You know, what what am I going to do now that is that would possibly mean that as much as as this has meant to me for thirty years, and and uh, and so it's it, it's a <laughs> it's a tough thing to walk away from, and. You know, some guys want to. You, you, there, there are two camps, really. I, I, Lou Pinella said to me when he retired, he announced his retirement in New York, and we were we were good friends and teammates on, on the Yankees. And he and he said to me one time, he said, "Roy, I'm just I'm just tired. I'm I'm tired of the pressure." And that's what you, you know. For the guys that uh, aren't named Joe Mauer, um, you know, it's a it's a performance thing. Every night you go out there in front of people and have it written about and. And you're competing against other other people, and and, and just the, the pressure of performing every night like that. Uh, after a long time, you know, in my case, 13 years, and in Lou's case, uh, a little bit longer than that. I mean, it 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 gets to you. And then at the same time, there are guys that say they are going to have to drag me with my fingernails digging into the ground, and they're going to rip this have to rip the uniform off of me. You know, so it just depends on the guys personality but i would just tell you that for most of us it's really hard
1: roy how much did winning a world series at the end of your career give your career closure mentally
2: uh it it meant everything to me it meant it made the decision an awful lot easier it it really did it was like uh, i know that it's close to the end uh i could go around you know the league and uh, kind of my own little farewell tour and you know for a couple of years or two or three years maybe and and proved everybody that I was done <laughs> or I could, uh, do as some people, uh, told me, said, well, you got, you got to keep playing. You can still play. And, and, uh, you know, you can, you can, you can still hit. And, and I, I kind of, I thought about that for a long time. I thought, well, we just won a world series. People think that have this positive impression, uh, of, uh, of me and my career. I, I think I'd like to leave on that note. And when, You know, and that's where Joe will be now because he knows it's it's he sees it at the end, whether it's whether it's now or a year from now or two years from now. When you're that close, then you start thinking about these other things that are uh, that that start making up uh, the importance scale.
0: Roy, I wanted to ask you about the shortstop position for this team. And obviously that's a position that, uh, that you played that you're very familiar with. And I'm, I'm looking at Jorge Polanco and where do you, where do you see him? Do you see him as a shortstop long term for this team or might it be a situation with him where they should maybe think about moving him over to second and, and going a different, different direction there at shortstop? But how do you view Jorge Polanco long term as either a shortstop or a second baseman for this team?
2: He's going to play in the middle of the infield for this team, uh, one spot or the other, and whether or not he plays shortstop will depend on the combination of of offense and defense they get from some uh, yet to be uh, determined uh, player, whether it's uh, Royce Lewis or you know whoever it, who, whoever it might be. But at this point, uh, I just I don't see another better uh, shortstop option. I, I think that. I think, uh, Palan has some shortcomings at, at shortstop, but, uh, defensively, and someone could come along and kind of blow him out of the water from a defensive standpoint. But in today's game of baseball, and especially in the American League, uh, with the, uh, with the DH, uh, meaning, uh, lineups are, are more stocked with offense and you need to, you, you can't have, uh, you have to score uh, runs. You can't have uh, somebody that doesn't hit at uh, at shortstop as much as you'd like to say uh, that uh, we we need we could use a, a far superior shortstop and we're, we'll we'll allow him to hit a 210. It's that won't be the case. It weren't the case. Pedro we we'll would still be playing shortstop for the for the Twins. So it'll be a common. It's a combination of uh, uh, what you can live with offensively and defensively and uh, he's going to play one of those spots, and right now I don't see a shortstop on the horizon, at least for next year.
3: Hey, Roy, how how much uh, did it concern you as a person who cares about this team to see the quotes? I think it was last week, Sano talking, I think it was to the Pioneer Press, about his plan for the coming months, which is going to include doing work on on his own, and basically I think he, he was asked, are you going to then follow a plan from the team? And he said, no, 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 I got this. I, I That concerns me because I really, at this point in time, especially w- with the progress that was made with him physically from June to July, I really think the smart play here is for him to take a plan from the Twins themselves and work on that as much as possible.
2: I agree with that uh, wholeheartedly, frankly. I, I, I have mentioned uh, to you that um, uh, before that yep. – my radical idea is for the twins to send a, uh, a coach or two, whether it's a, uh, certainly a, a hitting coach, uh, down there to the, to the Dominican, to, uh, uh, his hometown where he's going to play and, um, and work every day on, uh, what the two of them agree that he needs to work on and then take it out there at night and play the game. And, you know they play four or five games a week. They don't play every 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 game, but he has to play. I mean, there's no question that he has, he he can't take as much he can't miss as many uh, big league at bats as he missed uh, this past year, and um, and not play uh, in winter ball. I think he plans to do that anyway. But uh, I'm I would be in favor of it being a a collaborative supervised, uh, kind of, kind of deal. And I, you know, I, it's pretty radical. I don't know if a, a club's ever done that before, but I, I, I think with that investment, with how important he is in this club, I, 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 I don't like the, uh, no, I got this kind of, uh, answer. Yeah.
1: You know, it's, uh, it's hard for the twins. Not that, not that, not that they're the only ones organizationally who do this, but, uh, in terms of hyping up prospects or or for the fan base to get excited about Royce Lewis, who you mentioned earlier, with what's happened to Miguel Snow and Byron Buxton and you know Alex Meyer and previously Aaron Hicks, and it's really really hard to fully invest yourself if you're a fan in the idea of Royce Lewis as a star. Even though I think he's going to be, I understand why fans are looking at this and they're a little bit jaded. You know, it's it's tough, Roy
2: yeah and it, it is it is tough uh i understand uh being jaded about it uh as well and that's why i just uh, encourage people to understand the uh the chasm that exists uh, between being a minor league player and a major league player and taking the same uh performance that you've uh you that you've had in the minor leagues and transferring it immediately to the big leagues upon being uh, called up it, it's 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 a it's a big jump from high school and even college to uh let's call it double a baseball it's a big jump and that's why you see you know, guys even with Byron Buxton and Royce Lewis type of talent uh going through two uh, two levels of a ball before they even get to double a and double a is kind of the 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 first real weeding out of who's got big league stuff on the mound or big league talent as a player but the 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 jump from there the chasm that exists between AA and AAA in the big leagues uh from a uh this is this is the player I'm going to be wherever I play is is pretty vast and and um I I would encourage everybody just to to understand that and and there aren't you know Mike Trout's come along you know once every generation or so everybody else uh, no matter how much talent uh, they have has to has to really work at it and it it takes a while to for most every player to to get from the minor leagues to the big leagues and become the same player that that the projections would uh, would suggest. Yeah.
1: You got Vikings or Rams tonight, Roy?
2: Oh man, I you know, I'm pulling for you know, I as you know, I I'm, I'm a Vikings fan, I, you know, and so we're all uh, we're, we're all kind of uh you know, uh, on the edge of our chairs here, and, and hoping that the next uh, the next two games aren't uh, aren't a disaster. <laughs> yeah,
1: did you, well, you did
2: you uh, grow up rooting for the Rams at all? Oh, of course I did, absolutely. And and um, uh, it, and you know, it was funny because the Rams of my youth always had to come through uh, uh, the, the Vikings mm-hmm. to to get anywhere. And those great those great games with Roman Gabriel, quarterback, you know, and and uh, and even John Hadle at you know, at, at the end of his career, different, you know and the 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 uh, fearsome foursome of the Rams and the purple people leaders of the Vikings I mean it was just wonderful stuff and I was even as a Rams fan and they could and, and the Rams could never you know get past the vikings it, it seemed I was a great admirer of the Vikings uh but i've just been a I've been a football fan my whole uh life, and Minnesotans are going to hate to hear this, but I was a Packer fan as well. I like both the Packers and the Vikings, and you know I just like great players so uh, and the you know the Packers and the Vikings and to a somewhat lesser degree the Rams had had a lot of those. It was it was really fun. it's been fun to watch. Sure, yep. Uh,
1: kickoff in uh, two and a half or what's my math like like two and a half hours here. All right, Roy, we'll uh, we'll recap next week. Thanks, Roy. All right, see you, guys. see you. All right, Roy Smalley from Fox Sports North and uh, programming note: we are going to be live until seven o'clock. Usually we are done at six o'clock. We're going to take you up right up next to kickoff. So we'll be on until 7 o'clock. Dusting off the old innings years. Four, here.
2: four yeah. hours, baby. Four, four
1: hours. hours.
2: Four hours.
1: <laughs> With no opener. I just talked to him,
0: by the way. Yeah. He just called in. He I knew he, that was him when the thought, hotline He thought up. it was, he thought what it was 545. What? He thought he was an hour behind. Or he was an hour ahead. <laughs> what? What's he in New York? He's, he's like, because I'm like, well, we're talking to Roy right now. And he goes... He goes, oh, okay. You guys gone a little along with right there, and I said, I said Pat, you're coming on with this next hour, right? He's like, oh, Blake, what time is? Oh, it's
1: Jesus. I talked you in an hour. Oh. You know what? I think he's so <laughs> bored. He knew what time it was. He's just so bored. Just <laughs> checking his watch. He just wants to call and defend his guy Tibbs.
0: <laughs> what is it you're trying to say?
1: Now back to Mackie
0: and Judd what? on fifteen hundred. ESPN. Quick check on your traffic, 94 westbound. Uh, We have a 22-minute delay if you're headed that way uh, near Cedar Avenue in Minneapolis and 5th Street. Uh, So be on the lookout for that. That is uh, due to a crash. And, of course, we still have that crash near the uh, Wisconsin border on 94 eastbound. 37-minute delay. uh, That is reduced down to one lane for about the next hour while they get that. All cleared up.
1: All right. You have the story here. Jim Polad's quotes about Paul Molitor. Because Jim Polad, mind you, was the guy who demanded that Paul Molitor stay on board when they let go Terry Ryan and were bringing in a new front office. In fact, if I recall correctly, that was the only mandate, right?
3: Pretty much. They basically told Falvey and Levine, you can dismiss anyone you want except for Paul. Yeah. So before last night's game, it sounds like the assembled media asked Paul, do you want to come back? And Paul's response was, I don't have any doubt in my mind. I'd like to be back. Lavelle Neal of the Star Tribune then went to Jim Polad separately, I guess, and asked him about Paul's future. And here's the quote. I have no idea what they're going to come up with, Polad said, referring to Falvey and Levine. No matter if we win the World Series or have a disappointing season like this, they are going to come with recommendations. Some of those recommendations could be personnel changes, could be methodology changes. I don't know, but I look forward to that. He never said he was asked, and according to the story by Lavelle, he was asked directly about Paul, and this time did not say he's coming back for sure. Interesting. So that's up to those guys. Now, keep in mind, there's two years left on the contract. So he, he was signed to a three-year extension after they went to the wild card game last year. But it's very interesting that two years removed from a 103-loss debacle in which he was assured his job was safe, he is now not assured of that.
1: Interesting. Um, here's my problem with Paul Molitor. Byron Buxton and Miguel Sano are the two most important players, right now anyways, for this franchise's revival and long-term success. Mm-hmm. And those guys are nowhere to be found. And I'm not saying it's 100% Paul Molitor's fault. I'm not even saying it's 50% Paul Molitor's fault. But those guys have to be on the field and performing at a high level in the major leagues now that they're in their mid 20s. And a manager's most important job is to create an environment more of a big it's more of a big picture job. You're not going to be down there working on mechanics as much, but create an environment through hiring through just day-to-day managing people's egos and happiness and you know, like Roy Roy mentioned a mission statement, whatever whatever it is, get guys to thrive get the most out of your guys. yep and those yeah. guys are like those guys are operating at their tenth percentile right now. <laughs> now if you would bring in Terry Francona for the last two or three years, would Byron Buxton be the starting center fielder and hitting 280 and doing his thing? I I don't think I don't think we can say that, but I do, I do think it's fair to criticize Paul Molitor in a vague way. For those guys giving you almost nothing over the past couple of years, because that's really, I and mean, that's that's really what a manager's job is—to make sure that guys are getting as close to their peak potential as possible. And if you're telling me that a manager has zero influence on that, then what's the point in paying multiple millions of dollars for someone to sit in that seat, right? I mean, right. like anyone can sit there—not anyone, but like most people can go buy the book, bringing in relievers, lefty, righty, and okay, this is a high-leverage situation. Let's bring in a, a, a better reliever, right? You could be told right? that. Yeah. It's all the, it's the other yeah, stuff. Pickler tell me that. And Derek yeah. and
0: Thad did not hire him. Yeah, That's the thing that mm-hmm. we all have to keep in mind is that, you know, Derek and Thad may have their own sort of mission statement. They may have their own viewpoint on things, and they didn't hire Paul, and Paul had a good year last year. They, they made the playoffs. But this year, I mean, you do have to
3: kind of wonder. Well, and I keep hearing people say, "But Paul's trying so hard and adapting, and that's great. Credit to him." But you're right. You go back to to the fact that if you want this thing to ultimately be as successful as it can possibly be, and Derek comes to Jim and says, "You know what? This isn't going to work." I think you got to cut bait. And I do. In my gut, I don't think he's going to be fired. But I will say that that if part of the recommendation is to go in a different direction and for them to bring in their, quote, guy, I think you got to think long and hard about that. Because if you're going if it was always weird that Paul was assured his job, that was always very odd. Mm -hmm. And he was the one guy who got that assurance. And I think now backtracking a bit you do have to say that if these guys are going to run this entire show and they've identified a guy who's a pitching coach somewhere or something else, you've got to take a long, hard look at, at a potential change, But that's also, very fair.
0: But I also wonder, too, after last season and, you know, making the playoffs, they gave him a three-year contract. So you would think to a degree – that Falvey and Levine looked at him, giving him a, a three-year contract and saying, we actually do like what this guy can do because otherwise you would think they would give him like a two-year contract or something, sure. you know? Yeah. Because a, a three-year contract seems more like they really, they really liked him and that they really wanted to keep him around long term.
1: Yeah. That, I would agree with that. And I, and everything I've heard behind the scenes, how, whatever they thought about him going into that relationship they were impressed by him as the season progressed, and Paul did a good job embracing new concepts and and trying to understand sort of new ways of thinking. I mean Paul Paul wasn't resistant. Now, the thing we don't know is if they had a number one Ace candidate in mind, what's the biggest difference between that guy, Let's say it's a Jeff Pickler internal candidate versus Paul Mahler. Like what would that guy do differently? Would it be his demeanor? Would it be the way that he incorporates information from the front office? We just, like, and we're probably never going to find that out because why would, but if, but why would they be open about that? But
3: if they're coming downstairs on a daily basis and saying, Paul, we, we think you should do this, and then they, they decide that it'd be preferable to hire a candidate who thinks like them, yeah. that's possible too. I don't think he's gone. But I do find it intriguing that Jim Polad said it's completely up to them now, and, and I want no part of telling them what they're going to do here.
1: Uh, Paul Molitor uh, is speaking to media here before, or I guess after batting practice, or during batting practice, said it's unlikely Miguel Sanoa will play this weekend, which means Miguel Sano, not that this is shocking, but Miguel Sanoa will not be able to finish the season. So his season, his season 199, ends. 199, baby. Yeah, below the Mendoza line, a 281 on base percentage, and he slugged below 400 uh, in 299 plate appearances. And him trying to
3: tell them that he's going to do his own conditioning thing to me is ludicrous.
1: Yeah, he struck out 115 (laughs) times. (laughs) You just look at the stats because they're so bad. In 71 games. Yep. Unbelievable. God. So you double that. And he so you double the games to 140, and he breaks the major league record in 140 games. Yeah, he would have struck out a hundred, 250 times in a full season. What is the deal? (laughs) Honest to God, clearly nobody
3: knows. That is that is unbelievable. Thanks. Smalley's right though. Buxton and Sano should be put on the same winter league team. Given a coach from the
1: Twins and told your plan based, yeah, but probably probably ain't going to happen.
3: No, it's not. Yeah,
1: too bad. Uh, the football hour is next. We'll check in pregame in Los Angeles with Matthew Collar, and Tom Pelissero will join also in about twenty minutes from now. Mackie and Judd from the TCL broadcast studios. Don't go anywhere. Assume the position. More Mackie and Judd coming up next on fifteen hundred ESPN.